Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there, I'm Dr. Nazanin Moali, and you are listening to episode 298 of Sexology Podcast. You can see me, but I have this huge smile. I cannot believe that we are just only two episodes short of our 300 episode launch. I have a very special plan for our episode number 300. You know that I'm all about surprises. So I'm not going to share that with you. But if you are a new listener, make sure that you're following us because something special is coming your way. Also, speaking of fun and exciting things, we have this free resource for you that a list of more than 100 ways that you can spice up your relationship tonight. They are divided in three categories because some people like it mild, some people like it moderately hot, and some people like it really hot. So I wanted to create a resource for people with all types of novelty seeking desire. So make sure you are downloading that checklist. It's in our show notes. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic. My guest is another licensed therapist and also a fellow podcaster. We're going to talk about when do we know that a relationship worth fighting for worth working on and when should we call it quit i'm also i was in her show and i talked about my personal experiences but sometimes the best thing that you can do is in in the relationship and sometimes there are things that you think it's absolutely not non-negotiable but when you're working with a professional you you learn that there are tools and strategies that completely make it workable for you to be in a relationship with the partner and even make it exciting. So we're going to talk about some of our experiences working with different couples in this episode. And as I mentioned that we have a part two in Nicoletta's podcast. Nicoletta Heidegger is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist practicing in Los Angeles, California. Nicoletta received her BA in psychology from Stanford University, her MA in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University, and she has another master's degree in human sexuality. She sees therapy clients virtually and in her unique ranch office in Los Angeles, where she offers sex therapy, outdoor sessions, and equine-facilitated psychotherapy and learning. We're going to talk about how she does it. It's very interesting. Nicoletta also creates weekly content via her growing hit show, Slots and Scholar, a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Nicoletta Heidegger. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have another therapist and podcaster in our show, Coletta Heidegger. Nicoletta, welcome to our show. Hi, good to see you. Thanks for having me. I am very excited. I know we're doing this swap for kind of our shows and I've, I've been listening to your show. I love to, I, I love to listen to shows like yours. That's by 
fellow other therapists that are also in the field of sexual health. And today we're going to talk about the topic that I often hear many people have question about is that people are thinking about when would it worth for me to invest my emotional resources and financial resources to go therapy, especially sex therapy, and when would it be better for us to quit. When I think about that in my practice, I think about the first thing that comes to my mind is erotic conflict that people have, right? That like you figure out something that you like and your partner hates it or maybe just like scared by it. I know that's part of your job. <laughs> Working people with uh, Yeah, diversity. part of our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that's our job security. So I want to hear your, your thoughts on that. I mean, I think it's always beneficial to go to therapy or sex therapy. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I wish people would go sooner. A lot of people use therapy, just as you probably know, and maybe have talked about on the podcast, but a lot of times they wait until things are like crisis level. And so then it's like, oh, therapy is a last resort. And like, yeah, that doesn't mean you can't get something out of it. But ideally, I would love for folks to go a little more proactively and preventatively to kind of help them have the tools to navigate a relationship. But I think even if you're questioning maybe ending things, like therapy can also be a place to break up and do it maybe a little kinder, a little more compassionately, a little better. And it gives you an opportunity to maybe learn more about yourself and more about your partner and just more about the sort of ways that you handle things, you know, in life. And so I know we'll probably get into more specifics about certain topics, but I think in general, I'm biased because I'm a therapist and you probably are too, but I think better to go and at least see if you can gain some insight to take into either that relationship and a new chapter of it or your next relationship. I 100% agree with you with that. And now, of course, I'm biased too. And yeah. I know in your show, we're going to talk about our history and how we got into it. So I want people to make sure that they're checking out that episode. But I, yes. think, <laughs> but I think that people are, what's important is to think about the sooner you go in, go to seek help, it might possibly help you felt, first of all, with kind of spending less money on, on therapy and also being able to resolve the issue sooner. Because sometimes people kind of start with sexual challenges and sexual conflict and they're not addressing it and turns to this bigger relational issues. And I think some of the ch most challenging things for people is around their sexual, kind of their erotic self. Sometimes mm -hmm. people don't talk about their interests or they don't know about their interests before they meet the partner or before they kind of start the relationship. Yeah. And then that- And then they just know when it's not feeling good. They're like, oh, I didn't realize, but now I'm not liking this. <laughs> Absolutely, right. And they kind of sometimes they discover the part of their partner by accident. They get so scared or repulsed. I had many clients that they figure out what kind of a porn their partner watches. And that was very scary mm -hmm. for them. So tell us, so if we discover something that our partner likes, that we're not into it, yeah. how would we know that we can bridge that gap or that's something that's like, we, can, we have to call it a quit? I mean, I think it can be really hard. I, I feel that like, Ideally, one, if they're having that reaction, would take the time to really like do some soul searching within themselves of kind of what's that about. First, I would say, yeah, like validate your reaction. Unfortunately, like it would be ideal if you were able to kind of 
contain that reaction and have it with yourself, but often we have it to our partner and then we maybe say some judgment and make them feel ashamed. The good news is like, hopefully that doesn't have to be your only conversation. So if you reacted from a triggered place, hopefully you can come back and have a reparative conversation after that. But I think if you have a big reaction to something, I think that doesn't mean that if you do some soul searching and some work on it, that all of a sudden you're going to like that thing. But I think it's important to take a step back and be like, what is it about this thing that is giving me a big trigger in my nervous system that is making it so that I'm not feeling at least neutral about it or that I can't even hear it. And so that could be everything from looking at like, how was I raised to think about sex and desires? Or how was I raised to think about this particular topic? Or how was I raised to think about watching porn? And sort of how did I shape those narratives and those those stories myself? And then really trying to do some in-depth work and asking yourself, what is it about this that triggers me? Is it because I'm worried that the maybe fantasy or the other things aren't how I look? And that means that my partner doesn't like me and they want something else. Am I feeling triggered because there's some sexual trauma that I have and this interest reminds me of that trauma? Or is it, you know, something totally different? Are you feeling like you're being cheated on by this interest? Or is it just like something you're really not into? And then you're worried about maybe your partner will never be sad satisfied. But I think it's important to get to the bottom of the the why in sort of a curious, non-judgmental way to figure out why you're having such a reaction to it. And that could be true to like non-sex stuff too, right? Like if a partner asks you that they want certain things done a certain way in the relationship and you have a big reaction to it, I think it's good to be like, clearly I'm having a physical visceral response. Like what is going on? Where's that coming from? Like something's going on. Absolutely. And I love that you connected it to the trauma and past experiences we have around things. And management of a reaction is really helpful, but sometimes we don't have necessarily have that awareness in the moment. I wanted to talk about a few of the things I've seen with clients. I want to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like, what sure. are the things that our people are often get scared of when they figure out or they learn from their partner that they have a fetish that Mm -hmm. can feel very scary for them is that something that you've seen your clients were able to incorporate part of their relationship if the other partner is not into that particular fetish yeah i've seen it with fetishes and i can talk about some specific ones and i've also seen it with like orientations and things that people are, are interested in and that can range from that can range from a whole different amount of things that can be like oh i'm actually finding myself interested in different genders, or I'm having some like troublesome turn-ons that might be illegal or unethical or feel disturbing to me, or just be, have a lot of shame around them. Um, I've seen folks like that as well. I think with the fetish stuff, I'd be curious to hear what you think too, but I feel like it scares people because it's sort of, there's just a shame, a general shame and taboo in our culture about some of that stuff. And I think like a misunderstanding. And so I think a lot of people are worried that like, if they can't do it, or if they're not interested in it, that maybe their partner won't be satisfied. Or there's just some internal judgment of like, why do they like that stuff? And I find that usually when we're judging someone else, there's probably some self-judgment about maybe something that we're interested in. In terms of what to do about it, I mean, obviously going to a sex therapist or a sex coach can certainly be helpful. And again, we're, we're biased with that. But like I said, I also think maybe it's taking a little bit more time to understand what your partner likes about that to maybe gain some empathy and compassion for like, 
what has them interested in this particular thing? Is there any part of that that you could get on board with? So for example, like I've had some clients who maybe found themselves really interested in, in latex. And so maybe their partner had some like weird reactions to that and wasn't sure what they liked about it. Or maybe in their mind, they imagined like having to be in like a full latex suit and a gag ball. And it was like, you know, really kinky and like violent and whips and chains and all this stuff. But it turned out that the person who was interested in the latex really just liked the aspect of the way it felt in their hands and and caring for the latex like putting special you know oils and creams on it to help maintain it and and just the look of it in different lighting and just being able to like have that tactile sensation and then their partner realized like oh i actually really like certain touch and sensations of different things i don't really love latex as much but i really like you know silk or satin or whatever and so being able to kind of take a step back and be a little curious about what is it that the person's actually liking? Is there a way that I can better empathize and understand that? I think can be really helpful. And sometimes we're just really not interested in what our partner is interested in. And so then I think it becomes an issue of, is this a deal breaker for either or both partners? Can the partner do this on their own? And is that something that you can support? Are you comfortable with them kind of exploring it on their own? Are they comfortable not sharing it with you? And kind of having their own solo practice of that thing? Or are they really feeling like it's a need in their relationship? And that can either potentially mean if you're monogamous, the end of that relationship, or if you're open to the idea of outsourcing, it can mean, are there other ways that we can agree to for you to get that need met? If it's really important to you, just in like a, obviously it's different. I feel like for folks, when it comes to sex, just because of the weight that we put on sex, but like, I love scary movies and my partner hates horror and scary movies. And so he's not the person that I call when I'm going to watch scary movies. I call my other friends who are into that. So we kind of, we outsource all the time, but I think people get more threatened when it comes to sex because they're worried about maybe being left or their own judgments about the thing. I loved all the thing that you said. <laughs> I said too much. I just kept going. <laughs> no, I think they are all very relevant. I think the first part of kind of getting curious about it is very important. And knowing that if you are curious, it doesn't mean you have to do it. As you mentioned, you can go to therapy, mm -hmm. you can go to convention with the person at the end of the day, you can say that you're a wonderful person. I'm not into it. Like mm -hmm. any other kind of food that if you wanted to eat, right? Like maybe I don't yeah. like Italian food. We go to a couple of good restaurants. I don't like it. So I think it would be similar yeah. to that. And I love the idea of maybe outsourcing it. If I mean, I don't know. Possible. I don't know if I trust people. I don't know if I trust people who don't like Italian food, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I think that's important what you said too, also, because I didn't even add this, but like, I think it's also important to know if something's just a fantasy or if someone really wants to do it. Because a lot of times people have an interest and that doesn't mean they really want to do anything about it. They just like the fantasy of it. So sometimes, like you said, people are like, oh no, that means I'm going to have to do it and it's going to have to look like this. But it might just be like, no, I just wanted to share it with you. I like, it's just a fantasy. I, I don't even want to really do it in real life. Absolutely. And I think one thing that you mentioned that was very interesting, I've seen a lot of mixed orientation couples in my practice. And we're talking mm. about mixed orientation are people who are kind of like in my clients, they enter the relationship as a heterosexual cisgender individuals. And throughout the journey of life, they figure out they're bisexual, they're lesbian, mm. like a gay. So all of that kind of like spectrum of things. And I've seen for some yeah. couples, 
they were able to figure it out, like champion and I start like strengthen the relationship. And sometimes yeah. it can end a relationship in a really negative way. What are some of the suggestions you have for those couples? Who are feeling like they need to end it or the mixed uh, mixed, orientation? mixed orientation ones? Yeah. So tell me if, uh, if this doesn't fit with the podcast, but some folks might not consider this an orientation, but I would say the most extreme example I've seen of that is I do work with couples of all kinds, but I also work with individuals and couples who have desires that are maybe outside of what is legal or ethical or have, you know, maybe like out of feelings of out of control sexual behavior. And one such, you know, grouping that I work with are folks who have what's called minor attraction. So these are folks who find themselves interested in minors. So some might say pedophiles, that's one category of minor attracted people. These are not folks who are necessarily sex offenders or who have acted on it, but who find themselves having this attraction to a certain age. And that was probably the most extreme example I've heard about that is, are you comfortable if we talk about it? Yeah, sure. Please do. So yeah, I would say probably that was the most extreme example. So someone identified their orientation as being a minor attracted person, meaning they felt like they were born with this. A lot of research out there actually shows that it does sort of resemble an orientation, which is pretty controversial because I think obviously there's a lot of fear around this topic and a lot of shame and stigma. But this person identified that they, you know, also liked adult, you know, women as well, but they found themselves being interested also in sort of teens and adults adolescence. And this was something they had a lot of shame about that they had like never talked to anyone about. And this is true for any couples I've seen in this kind of realm that those same themes coming up. And so in these examples, you know, we've got one person who has this thing that's coming up for them that they know they cannot act on, but they also want to have a connected, fulfilling relationship uh, with an adult person. And oh, to be able to share that with somebody, there was so much shame and stigma and fear to do that. And so for couples I've seen that have worked through that, I think it's just a lot of layers. And so I would say the tips are trying to slow down, trying to address your nervous system and to do some work to figure out what does it take for me as a listener or hearing these things to like get grounded in my nervous system. And then to be able to address like, what are your preconceived notions? So then in therapy, that would look like maybe getting some psychoeducation. So reading some of those research studies, reading more about, you know, this particular orientation, whatever that might be. So kind of myth busting a little bit. So you're not just operating from a place of, you know, shame and fear and potentially trauma and seeing if you can really like build empathy for your partner and and what they're interested in. And then I would say probably the biggest thing to address that, that is creativity. And so even if it's not to the extreme of some of the examples that I'm giving, creativity is key. So I knew a couple who had this sort of interest going on. One person had the had uh, associated with minor attraction and the other person hadn't even heard of that beforehand. And I actually had them on my podcast. So folks are welcome to check out the episode. But what they figured out is that it worked for them and that they both were interested in some like taboo age play. And for folks who don't know about age play, it's kind of a, a category within kink and BDSM where you sort of utilize in fantasy with consenting adults, this sort of role play of like playing different ages and different power dynamics, because that's something that excites you. And so they figured out that that was something that they both 
both really liked that they could kind of connect and see eye to eye on. And they were able to find creative ways to sort of meet in the middle. But, you know, it took some time to overcome some of the yeah, I think the false narratives about what that meant and overcome some trauma and overcome some trust and fear things. So it definitely takes work, but I think with a curiosity, with a compassion and with a creative mind, there's a lot of stuff that we can work on together if we are willing. I agree with you. I haven't worked as like as many cases as with minor attracted individuals, but the co- the couples that I work with, one of the essential key for them was this fear of mm-hmm. what if the person going to act on this and we're going to lose our livelihood and mm-hmm. that's going to be like a crime and all of that. And I, and I agree with you, like psychoeducation about, okay, fantasies and realities are different yeah. and kind of it can help people to be more open to hearing these things. And maybe yeah. for someone else, this might not be something that they're real kind of interested in age play yeah. or any kind of like creative kind of like uh, incorporating. Yeah, that might this. be the end for them. Right, yeah. right. But I kind of like at least coming from the place of understanding might help with kind of ending things in a in a way that honors your relationship. Yeah, in a way that's compassionate. And, and I think it's really hard to respond with curiosity and compassion and empathy when we're triggered. You know, so if something that your partner is interested in, like triggers you in a really deep way, it's easy for me over here in my therapy chair to be like, yeah, just respond compassionately with empathy and curiosity. Like it's really hard to get there if something is that triggering. And that's where I think the sort of practice of nervous system regulation comes in and and doing some, some trauma work. But that might be another conversation. But I think it's not easy. You know, I want to acknowledge that. And and even if it's not to the extent of, oh, we're worried about losing our livelihood, like some people are just worried about, well, what will others think of us? Right. Uh, What will people think of us? There's a lot of like, if somebody found out, there's a lot of shame, even even if it's around things that aren't sort of to that extreme. I'm sure you see that a lot too, because I know there's a lot of cultural components to that as well with some of the different cultures of folks that we work with. Absolutely. And I have an interesting story about that. I was working with this conservative couples that they were in a yeah. sexual relationship. And mm-hmm. when we were working, there was like no desire. And when we were working together, what yeah. we find out together was the wife was identifying as kind of her attraction with same sex, always been like that. And she was very happy in the relationship. And the other way, like the husband was labeled a sex addict because he had this kind of adventurous part to him. So what, what when we were mm. talking about things, when we process things, we talked about yeah. the kind of what if you bring the third person in the bedroom? That was something that they wanted to explore. And one of the reservations they had was that what would people think? Like this third person coming. Mm-hmm. So which was, which was ridiculous that kind of like, you know, that's a fear we have at times and what people thing they were able to navigate all of this and that this might not be the solution for many people because for many of people who are interested in same sex then it's just about that and no one wants the third person policing the activity in the bedroom but for them it turned to this very exciting ritualistic thing that they were doing and they've been there are like the relationship is very strong right now and they were able to figure it out that way I feel like one thing that can help people is to think about what would work for me, as you said, like, you know, kind of considering my relationship, things I want, and Mm -hmm. trying to kind of set aside the 
societal cultural component of things that how and how it comes off. So I think that's that's important. For some people, opening up a relationship can be a solution. For some people, is kind of like having kind of more of a polyamorous relationship also can mm-hmm. be another uh, solution. But with the tab- very kind of quote-unquote very taboo things that are for hard for people to listen, I think kind of working with a therapist like yourself that are yeah. educated in this is very important because as me and you know that many therapists that are not specializing in sex therapy, even these things can be very taboo and they would, might have a negative reaction to it. What about the desires that are things that we cannot create? Like I know like attraction to minor is one of them, but people have all sorts of kind of different desires. What about that? What are some of the things that you've seen that people were able to creatively incorporate in their relationship? Oh yeah. Great question. Let me think on that for a second, but there, there's so much, I think some of the desires and stuff you might be exploring could be having to do with like like monsters or having to do with like fantasy things that like can't necessarily happen for that. I think a lot of people sometimes turn to like cartoon and like anime. Mm -hmm. So things that maybe, you know, you're allowed and able to do things that are outside the the realm of what reality is capable of. So like cartoons, I think a lot of people are into role play and dress up and, and things like that. I think written, written erotica, written stories and sort of being able to like get creative in that way. But also like sometimes we don't know why we're interested in stuff, but I think it can also be helpful to figure out sometimes what is it about the thing that interests us? Because then there might be other ways that we could, you know, find a find a creative solution. Like I was talking about with the latex, like what part of it is is interesting. Going back to what you were talking about earlier is maybe like how do you know if it won't, if it's like too much and you do need to leave or like if it really doesn't align. And that's a tough one because I don't know how you feel in your practice, but you know, it's, it's never really up to us as therapists to be like, you guys are done, right? <laughs> like it's time to leave. Like this is not working. I think your relationship sucks. <laughs> Get out. There's definitely been times where I've wanted to say that to some of the couples that I work with because I, they were maybe having a really hard time or I was seeing them repeat these patterns that weren't, you know, healthy or sustainable for them. But I think that question is really up to each individual person is like, how long are they willing to work on this? Maybe I hate to say like setting a timeline for yourself because therapy work, it's hard to have a timeline, but like really asking yourself like, yeah, how long and willing and able am I to to work on this? And and what would that look like if I, what would it take for me to not want to be invested in this anymore? Uh, exactly. And I was thinking about, you know, it's also the, I, I call it kind of relationship bank. How much money you have in your overall relationship bank mm. can impact Like your how much to give. Right. Like impact, yeah. like your willingness to work on this, right? Like sometimes like the relationship kind of like the overall relationship bank is empty and you like minor differences in sex, you're ready to leave. <laughs> And sometimes you have a strong base and then yeah. like you have more willingness to explore things and your personality, like your, your temperament, right? I think yeah. some people are more flexible and some people are more kind of struggling with things that are different than what they believe is right. There's a rigidity there. Mm-hmm. But for couples that are interested to explore this, there's a galaxy of different options when it comes with therapeutic approaches. How would they know what to choose. For example, I know you do equine assisted therapy, which is very, very interesting. So 
tell us what are some of the different modality that people can explore? Mm, different modalities of therapy. For sex therapy, yeah. That like for people who are interested to examine this. Yeah. Well, really quick, I want to go back to what you were saying just a second ago. And and if you have any other thoughts on this, like I would love to hear them because it's it's always cool for me to hear different sex therapy perspectives. But I I myself have sort of seen I've almost seen things like getting worse in terms of the like how much is in the bank account department because I, I feel like as things develop in our culture and in our society and technologically, people are getting more used to things being like perfect. And if they're not, they're like, well, I need the upgrade, right? I need the new model. Like if your phone's not working, you need the upgrade. You need the upgrade. If you, if you're swiping, you can just keep swiping. And so I think people are getting too comfortable with like instant gratification and not maybe learning as much resiliency, inner resiliency and coping tools. And so I am finding a lot of more people. I think when things get tough, it's hard for them to not be like, well, it's done, you know, let's go to the next thing and not really wanting to work on stuff. But then that ends up following them to their next relationship. I agree with you on that. And I think kind of like it can close the door on curiosity, right? That yeah. Like if you're thinking about, okay, my partner has this particular interest that yeah. I'm going on the Reddit mm-hmm. and hear about all of these people that are just like so unhappy about how like their partner was in that category. And yeah. we're saying like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Or there must be somebody, I think it's the FOMO, right? There must be somebody better out there for me who like has all these qualities that that FOMO feeling, I think I, <laughs> I feel that too. And I, that FOMO thing in lots of areas. And I think I've just been seeing that getting worse lately of people comparing and being like, well, there's something better out there. That's sort of our like capitalistic mindset of like, there's a better model. There's a better thing that I have to keep, you know, improving and and finding the best. And I think that's really negatively affected our willingness to work on relationships. Of course, there are definitely times when maybe it's time to leave and end the relationship or at least end the current, you know, chapter or permutation of it and, and create a new one. But yeah, people are, they want instant gratification without doing the work or they want to come to me and be like, okay, we're just, we're seeing you for one week for 50 minutes, like fix it, but we don't want to do any work outside of this session. <laughs> that is true. Right. And tell my partner <laughs> that they're wrong. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm here to fix them. Can you just fix them for me? I'm going to drop them off and you're going to just, you know, fix it. <laughs> that is so true. But yeah, going back to different kinds of therapies. So yeah, I do something called equine assisted therapy. And it's always funny because when I tell people I do sex therapy and equine assisted therapy, which is therapy with horses and donkeys, people are like, what do you mean? Like, like I know you support people in doing like weird fetish stuff, but like, what do you mean? (laughs) So I have to clarify it's, uh, you know, not, not maybe what your first initial thought was. Yeah. That's a modality that I got attracted to because I grew up riding horses and I just kind of really saw the, the healing powers of working with animals. And so equine assisted therapy is I almost put it in a category of like art therapy. It's a lot about sort of using metaphors and things, but then there's also this really amazing relational component where you get to use, utilize and work with another sentient being that has its own boundaries, its own you know, different personality, um, things that it's okay with, things that it's not okay with. And sort of we really get to explore 
relational dynamics with the help of another willing like therapy assistant, I would say, in real time. So it really helps people instead of just like talking about the things, we kind of do like exercises and activities that help people see some of their processes and behaviors happening experientially in real time and have to work through them in real time. And so I've gotten really interested in just other modalities that really involve like the body and really involve experiencing things because I found that especially when it comes to sex and relationship stuff, people can work on things in my office and talk about it. But at some point they have to really practice utilizing those tools. And so I find that some of these interactive experiential forms of therapy can be really great in a different vein, but kind of similar stuff. I I really like to encourage folks to do other kinds of like somatic, meaning body-based therapies or coaching experiences. So some people will go to folks like sexological body workers who are basically sex educators and coaches that do hands-on work with people to help them work through stuff in real time. Or there's folks who do like surf therapy, like it's, it's all over the place. So I think I'm just a fan of getting people back into their bodies and getting them sort of moving and interacting in that way, because sex is obviously a combination of biopsychosocial stuff, but ultimately it does require us getting into our body and said in a different way, I think you can talk about having sex, but at some point you have to fuck about it. So that's kind of how I, how I feel about it. Well, I'm kind of curious. So I used to work at a residential facility and for eating disorder treatments and my clients, they love equine assisted therapy. That was very helpful for them. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, have you ever used it with couples? Yeah, I use it with couples all the time. So I I think traditionally it can look different. Sometimes people do it just with individuals. Sometimes it's with groups. I'm really lucky. So I, I got to move my office to a ranch. So I am able to work with these horses kind of whenever. It's really cool. We also have pigs and goats and sheep and other weird, weird stuff roaming around. So it's a really cool environment. But with couples, just to give you an example of maybe what that could look like, I had a couple who was kind of struggling with some, you know, some sex stuff and, you know, not really seeing eye to eye, not really maybe putting in the work to have the better sex that they were saying they wanted to have. And so what I had them do is first, they kind of, you know, connected with one of the horses and and spent some time, you know, just, yeah, like you would meet a new person, you know, you kind of figure out what their boundaries are through petting, through grooming, through walking, through just spending time together to sort of introduce them because this is sort of like their, their co-pilot for the exercise. And then I had them build like an obstacle course and a place they were working towards that represented their sex life. So basically there were a bunch of like tools in the arena that we were working in outside, like poles and barrels and chairs and stuffed animals or, you know, whatever things they could kind of use metaphorically. And so I had them together build an obstacle course of like, what were some of the the barriers or things they were trying to overcome in their sex life? And then where was it that they wanted to get to? Like, what was the the hopeful goal of what they wanted their sex life to look together? And so they had to work together to build this. And then they had to get the horse to join them and walk through the obstacle course. And so something really cool about horses is they are, they don't do things unless they want to do them, (laughs) unless you're like being abusive towards them. But, you know, in in equine therapy, they don't do stuff unless they want to. And so if you're not like kind of walking with confidence or being really certain, they're going to pick up on bullshit. So like if you say you're feeling fine, but really you're feeling a lot internally, 
their prey instincts sort of pop up and they're like, oh, you're a predator to me. What are you hiding? Because in the wild, predators like humans and their prey animals, even though they're bigger than us, are often trying to mask what we are doing so that we can get what we want. And so they're really good at picking up on bullshit. And so you might think it would be easy to be like, yeah, I'm just going to walk this horse through the thing. But it is wild. They are they're like special magical creatures. So they will like stop and not do things if you're not like working together, if you're not being authentic, if you don't have enough energy. So they, they can really put you through it if you're going through a time. And so when I did that exercise, it was so interesting because you got to see how do they work together as a couple? What are their different styles of communication? How did they maybe view or want to build different things in this obstacle course? Where did they not align? Then as they were doing it and the pressure got put on, you got to see what happened in the stressful situation. So what happened when things weren't going well? Did one of them shut down? Did the other one sort of take over and just be the boss? How did that feel for the other person? How did it feel when they got to different steps? Did they acknowledge their progress? So it was just a whole physical representation of their relationship. And I got to see it in real time. Fascinating. And I think with couples, whenever there are ways that they can enact their pattern and they can see it and the partner can see it's very, very powerful. So as far as a guideline for people, we're kind of thinking about, okay, I'm in this situation. Should I leave or should I stay? My invitation for people is, and I want to hear definitely your thoughts is mm-hmm. at the first kind of approach it from the place of curiosity that yeah. can you be curious enough to entertain your partner talking about it and if if you if the relationship worth it and you want to work on it then kind of going to a sex therapist is also can be or a sex coach can be a good good next approach and as you are going to find a therapist or sex therapist there are people that you will love their approach and there are people that their mm-hmm. approach is not resonating with them i'm sure there were people that i came to me once and they never want to see me again <laughs> i think that's the case for everyone i mean yeah in my like young emotional mind i want everyone to to like me and want to work with me but i know that's not going to be the case <laughs> Right, right. So I think it's knowing that you have to interview people, go through this, that's also important. What else do you have? I'm sure you have a lot else, other stuff to add to it. What are some of the other thoughts that you have as as we're wrapping this? Mm, So when to leave or when to stay? Yeah, and how to choose the next step. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I still struggle with this myself. And I wish I had like a quick answer of like, here's the checklist to go through. But I think I really would encourage people to continue doing their own individual work. I think some of the main themes that I would invite folks to maybe work on is to feel how deserving do they feel of like pleasure or the kind of relationship they want to have? What have they kind of been taught about the narratives of going and staying? You know, maybe they were raised in a, in a culture where like divorce was a big no or where it wasn't, you know, religiously allowed in some way, shape or form. And so really kind of getting to the bottom of like your own sexual story as you're navigating this. So like, do you feel like you're deserving of having more? What's getting in the way of that? Are you somebody who often feels like you have to stay in things or stay in discomfort longer than you should because you kind of go into that freeze or appease mindset or have kind of become a people pleaser in some ways? And so I think to me, it really starts with like doing some real 
internal work on yourself to kind of figure out some of these stories so that you can kind of see what's keeping you stuck. There's a a phrase my old supervisor taught me, which was, it might be shit, but at least it's warm. (laughs) Have you heard that? (laughs) No, I love it though. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty like gross visual, but I think it's important to note because if people have been together a long time, it can be really scary to imagine not being together because, you know, at least this is comfortable. At least, you know, the person or you worry you're not going to meet somebody else. So really getting and doing that, you know, internal talking time to figure out, well, what's really keeping me in this? Is that aligned with the values that I want in my relationship? And then I'm a really big fan of an approach of therapy called PACT. Did you ever do any PACT training? I haven't, but I know what it is. But tell tell our listeners more about that. It was founded by a, um, a guy named Stan Tatkin. And I, I really like a lot of parts of this, this therapeutic approach. He's got some good books all about this. Um, one is called like we do, I think, and it's all about like committing to a relationship of meaning. And I think one of the big standouts to me is like, it's okay. If you have different interests, it's okay. If you align differently on different things, but he talks a lot about that. Something we kind of need to at least agree upon is do we have an agreement about what our reason for being in this relationship is and an agreement about let's see, I don't want to misquote him. So this might just be my own quote here, but like an agreement on like our purpose in this relationship and in this life. Because a lot of people you say, why are you staying together? They say, well, we love each other. And I'm like, that's great, but you know, it's not enough (laughs) sometimes. And so really figuring out, do we align on a purpose for being in this relationship? Do we align on a life purpose? Because without that agreement, it might be really hard to move forward. I agree with you. And kind of what kind of a life you want to live and what kind of a legacy you want to leave. I think that's very important. So I know that you are wealth of great knowledge and your podcast includes a variety of very interesting topics. So thank you. listeners, where can they get a hold of you? Well, we really covered it all today. You know, lots of, lots of different, lots of different uh, topics. So So yeah, thank you so much for having me. We are going to be doing a a part two uh, on my podcast, which is called Sluts and Scholars. I'm available on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars or at Therapy with Nicoletta. And you can also find the episodes at slutsandscholars.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, thanks for helping me, helping guide me through a really fun, veritable cornucopia of fun topics. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'm so excited to be in your podcast. And I'm going to talk about lots of personal stuff that I usually don't talk about. <laughs> so Ooh, I invite our listeners <laughs> to come over and check out the conversation. And thank you again for coming to, to our show, coming to talk about those experiences that you had. The link to the podcast and the other resources that Nicoletta mentioned will be in the show notes. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful. I know it can be very tough to make a decision of whether staying in the relationship or not. But working with lots of couples, what I learned that sometimes when you are making this decision in front of someone else that can help you work through the kind of emotions and communicate what you want, regardless of if you want to remain in the relationship or not, 
it will help you to feel better long term because you you verbalized what you wanted to say. You know in your heart that you gave it a good shot. And sometimes people recreate themselves through therapy and through the support they get from a sex therapist. I also want to remind you that this conversation has the second part in Nicoletta's podcast, Slots and Scholars. We're going to talk about what are some of the common patterns that we see in our practice and also how how does it feel like to be a sex therapist, what happens in the sex therapy session, and also we're talking about some of the challenges that we have as sex therapists. Because when you say I'm a sex therapist, people at the event, at social events, at weddings, at networking events have all sorts of thoughts and reactions. And I'm going to share some of the fun ones that I heard in Nicoletta's podcast. I'll see you right here next week. And don't forget to subscribe and follow to our channel if you want to learn more about the surprise that's coming your way soon. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.